We're going to talk about uh, facing uh, facing anxiety for this second um, the second time. So just give us a give us a minute to, to get settled. I think there's a few more folks to come. So I want to start off um, dealing with uh, with certain misconceptions uh, about what facing or uh, dealing with anxiety is not. Okay, um, it is not achieving this uh, serene uh, detachment from reality. Right, God is not calling us to put our heads in the sand. Rather, facing anxiety involves a hope-filled engagement with all of life in all of its uh, complexities, uh, joys, and, uh, and sorrows. Right? We are Christians, not, not Buddhists, um, people of profound hope, not denial. And so we acknowledge and face our profound vulnerabilities uh, with, with the Lord's help. Second, it is not uh, repeating a prayer to take the bad feelings away, as if prayer were some kind of spiritual uh, tranquilizer. Um, sometimes that is the extent of our prayer <laughs> in the midst of anxiety. Take it away, take it away. Or, um, yeah, if you're a Star Trek fan, beam me up, uh, Scotty, right? Um, in fact, uh, when anxiety is particularly severe, one of the things I think we have to learn is how do we live with this uncomfortable feeling uh, and, and emotion and experience even as we seek the Lord, which is another way of saying that growth in the battle against anxiety is not instantaneous, it's not automatic. Thirdly, it's not simply a cognitive battle or a thought replacement exercise in which I... Uh, I seek to replace anxious, worst-case scenario thoughts with true propositions from Scripture. Uh, why? Well, because anxiety, particularly if it is if it is severe, is a whole person phenomenon uh, that involves uh, thoughts, emotions, actions. It involves the heart and the body, as I as I talked about uh, earlier. So the pathway through anxiety has to be more than just think about something else or think about what is true. Okay? Now, overcoming anxiety or facing anxiety is not less than uh, getting our thoughts aligned with what God says about himself, but it's, it's more uh, than, than that. I mean, you just think about how often in Scripture metaphor is used. You see this all throughout the Psalms. You know, taste and see that the Lord is good. Okay? Or God is uh, is a rock. Uh, he's he's a fortress. Okay? Those those call to mind more than just propositional truth. Okay? There is there is propositional truth there, but it's meant to evoke something uh, within us. So it's not this is more than a cognitive battle. Fourthly, Overcoming anxiety or facing anxiety uh, is not focusing on the unlikelihood that your anxieties will become true realities. <coughs> That's why it generally doesn't help uh, someone who says, well, uh, someone who's really anxious about flying um, to say, well, air travel is the safest form of major transportation. You only have a 1 in 11 million chance of dying on your, on your flight. 
Um, that is not helpful. Why? Uh, because we've already acknowledged the reality that sometimes God, in his mysterious and dark providential ways, does ordain grief and suffering and tragedy. Sometimes our worst fears come true, right? I could be that one in 11 million. So it doesn't help to do kind of like an actuarial accounting exercise uh, in in the midst of anxiety. It's not a shell game where where we're trying to conveniently hide actual or potential difficulty under a covering, although as though it's not really there. And my colleague Ed Welch says this, anxieties don't respond to the mere accumulation of data. Right? Fear does not submit to logic. Okay, so again, the argument that, well, statistically speaking, this is not a high probability, is not only goes so far. Um, fifthly, <coughs> uh, facing anxiety is not mastering five or six or ten easy steps. Uh, the battle against anxiety is not primarily a growth in technique but a growth in relationship uh, with the Lord. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean that we can't break down the process a bit into some particular aspects, which I'll do later, uh, but it's not, it's not primarily about technique. And then lastly, it is not necessarily complete relief from anxiety. Um, I didn't entitle the talk Overcoming Anxiety uh, because... Uh, I think what's most important is um, learning to lean into Jesus in the midst of anxiety. Learning to live faithfully even if, even if the anxieties is not fully resolved. <coughs> so if these are not the way, these are not the way to face anxiety, then how does it happen? And I think the key, uh, in a sense, to less anxiety is more fear. Um, the antidote to anxiety is to grow in fear, but in a particular kind of fear, uh, the fear of the Lord. And I think that's beautifully illustrated in C.S. Lewis's uh, Prince Caspian uh, when uh, Lucy encounters Aslan, whom she hasn't seen for a long time. And this is how the conversation goes. Aslan said, Lucy, you're bigger. That is because you're older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. It's a really profound uh, comment. As God looms larger in our lives, there is less room for anxiety. As we fear him, other fears will tend to diminish. As we grow in trust and love for him, other fears become (coughs) less insistent. The volume may not be turned down off, but the volume will be turned down. So how do we, how does that happen? Um, I'll I'll divide our discussion into two general categories. what I would call proactive approaches to anxiety and reactive approaches to anxiety. And I think both are important. What's the difference? Well, consider the the weekly habits and rhythms of a a sports team. 
Um, they, they practice during the week, okay, and then there's game day. And both aspects of that, uh, that team's preparation uh, are important. If you don't practice uh, proactively and consistently, you're going to be slaughtered, uh, likely, on, on game day. But just because you've had a great week of practice and you've been fully engaged, doesn't mean that you're going to automatically uh, win the game. You have to be fully engaged, fully present, fully uh, ready in body and mind, reacting to the changing environment before you and the other team in order to have a successful game day. Similarly, when I think about facing anxiety, I'm thinking about those two aspects or phases of growth. Proactive approaches uh, during the day and week when anxiety may not be as prominent, okay? Uh, and then that prepares you, if you will, for game day, those moments when anxiety seems to surge and it clouds our, it clouds our mind. Um, so both of those approaches are, I think, important. They're strategically linked. Unlike sports teams, there's not an artificial separation between uh, proactive and reactive. There's not a separation between practice uh, and match day uh, for, for us. As believers, we're always, in a sense, on the playing field. But I, th I think it's still helpful to talk about both the, if you will, the daily rhythms of grace that prepare us for those moments of high anxiety, and then what we actually do in the moments of high anxiety. Both of those are important. So first, proactive approaches. And the first thing I would say here is we, we simply need to know our tendencies uh, so we are less caught off guard. Um, I identify with, uh, with the character Puddleblum uh, in the, the Silver Chair, another uh, Chronicles of Narnia reference. Um, he is the Eeyore of the Chronicles of, of Narnia, and uh, he is an anxious pessimist. Now here, here are a couple statements he's, he makes. Uh, very likely, what with enemies and mountains and rivers to cross and losing our way and next to nothing to eat and sore feet, we'll hardly notice the weather. Or, the bright side of it is if we break our necks getting down the cliff, then we're safe from being drowned in the river. Okay, that's classic, uh, classic puddle glum. Um, know your tendencies. Know the tendencies of, of your students. Are they, are they naturally optimistic? Are they naturally pessimistic? Are they naturally temperamentally uh, moving towards depression or anxiety or, or not? Because those are things then that become places of proactive, prayerful engagement, which may seem like a no-brainer, but I, I, I find in my own life that I often don't have a lot of perseverance in my prayers. I'm more prone to pray about things that come up in, you know, I hear about a need and I'll pray about it. Or uh, there is a particular sin uh, that I need to confess to the Lord and to, and to someone else. But things that are these long-term tendencies, do we bathe them uh, persistently in prayer? So if, if you're tendency is toward anxiety or, or anxious depression, is that something that you're, that you're engaging with the Lord regularly on, even if right now in this particular moment there's not high anxiety? Um, with that, 
though, we want to identify the particulars of our anxieties, um, how they reveal what we value. This goes back to what I said in the first talk, that what is it specifically uh, in this moment of anxiety that I, that I want or need or, or fear? And I don't think we should take that for granted because we can be anxious and not even know why. And that happens not infrequently in, in, uh, in our home life. Uh, you know, one, of my, one of my children will pick up on it and will say, Dad, what's wrong? And I'll say nothing. And then I'll think about it as like, well, actually, yeah, here's, here's what I've been carrying uh, through, throughout my day. We're carrying from earlier in, uh, earlier in the week. Um, so it's usually not nothing. Um, take time to consider what's actually troubling you. Um, Jesus does that in Luke 12, which again we'll look at uh, in more depth in just a minute. He doesn't just simply say, don't be anxious, and leave it at that. He says, don't be anxious about your life, what uh, you will eat, or what you will wear, and what you will put on, Luke 12, 22. There's a specific content to our anxieties. Um, and to the extent that we that we drill down into that specificity, that is that is the way in which the the specificity of of the grace and mercy of Jesus gets applied in those in those moments. So this leads us to, to Luke twelve. If you want to open uh, to that, um, this is an, another aspect of if you will proactive uh, preparation. Really, it could be any passage of Scripture. This one is an obvious one because of how much Jesus actually talks directly about uh, anxiety. But really, any passage of Scripture, we could ask the question, how does this meet me uh, in the midst of my anxiety? Um, so, let's, uh, would someone read Luke 12, 22 to 34, please? And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, which you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And, what if you, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and where you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Great. Thank you. So let's, let's walk through this. Um, what, what do you notice here that, that will be helpful um, to an anxious heart, some things that we can we can begin to marinate in realities that directly start to speak to our our fears and anxieties. What what stands out to you? 
Yep. God cares far more about us than the simple things of life that He regularly provides for us. Mm-hmm. Good. Yes. It takes the blinders off and opens up to a wider, wider perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. D- expand that a bit. What do you mean by that? Um, so I, I think, like in during anxious times, we can get tunnel vision on yeah. one specific thing, and we forget the goodness and the and the, or maybe not even the goodness, but the other things that are happening. Mm-hmm. You know, so it opens it up. Talks talks about things such as as lilies and these beautiful things. You know, that God has created and provided for. Um, and even though it might not feel like that, <coughs> your tunnel. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still a reality. Yeah. So he's he's um, he's pointing out things in creation. It's really and uh, in, in those verses is an argument from you know, from the the lesser to the greater, right? If if God uh, cares for in the case of ravens, common scavengers, um, how much more will He care for you? Uh, or the the lilies that are here today and gone tomorrow? They're they're beautiful. But they're here today and gone tomorrow, and God cares for them. How much more will He care for you, His most beautiful creation? Okay. What else? What else stands out? So right along with that, you have the repetition of this command to consider, right? Consider these things. Which yep. I, I, I'd have to. I, I, it seems like an intentional shifting of the mind. Right? Yes, I think that's right. It's, it's, it's not just a haphazard. Yeah, look over here. There's a and and I'll I'll talk a little bit later about how imp- how important that focus is. And so there's there's something that Jesus is saying. Pause, look, learn, listen. Yeah, good. What else? This is just a little thing. You can't even do this. Mm-hmm. So why are you worried about it? Yeah. You know, for us, adding a span to our life isn't a little thing. Yeah. But it is for God. And mm-hmm. that's mentally that's mm-hmm. a comfort. Yeah. Because you're right. And when on first glance, when when you see that, who who can uh, who can add a single hour to the span of his life? If you're not able to do a smaller thing like that, you're thinking <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> I can't do that. But you're right. I like the sarcasm too. Yeah, this whole big God, um, He can do this. That's right. You can't do this. Yeah. Um, Thirty-two always sticks out to me in this passage. Just thinking about when I'm anxious or when I'm going through hard times, whatever. I I think God will eventually give in because I'm annoying, or He'll just forget about me. But this idea of it's your, it's your father's good pleasure to do these things. Like yep. He wants to, he loves you, um, and desires to give you relief from this. And so that's always just comforting to me of like, just like it's not just God's desire, but it's a good pleasure of his yeah. to do this. Yeah, I, I think that that is the um, that is where this whole passage is driving. So let's camp out a little bit in, in verse 32, because really every... Every word in that uh, in that verse is just uh, is a treasure trove of, of meaning. So again, there's this this fear not. It's not like 
what is wrong with you people? Um, you know, it, it, where it begins, when Jesus says, don't worry about what you eat, uh, about your body, what you will put on, in, in, that, in that society, those were real issues. So that's not a, you know, there was, there was no you know, Walmart or Target that you went to. It's sort of like, you could be destitute very quickly uh, in, in this society. So these are real issues. But where it drives to is Jesus saying, don't fear, little flock. So already here's this, this, shepherding, uh, this shepherding image. Um, think about sheep. Uh, they, you know, we were talking about um, the need to trust God's, uh, God's power and love and wisdom and presence. That's what we need as, as sheep. We need a, we need a shepherd um, who is powerful. Uh, we need a shepherd who, who, loves, uh, who loves the sheep. I, if I'm a sheep, I want a shepherd who's wise, who's going to know where to go for the best grass. And I want a shepherd who's going to stay with me and drive away the, the wolves or other, or other wild animals. So just that little phrase, right, little flock, is just full of all kinds of shepherding, uh, shepherding uh, metaphor. And then uh, you highlighted, uh, this is your father's good pleasure. So again, even the, even the word, uh, the father, uh, is, is familial uh, and intimate. And it is, it is his good pleasure. He's not stingy. Okay? God is not a cosmic Scrooge. It's his good pleasure to do what? To actually give you the kingdom. Okay? And it, as though Jesus is saying... This is the this is the pearl of great price. This is the the thing that is um, more important than anything else, and really, I think, relates to what Paul says in Romans eight thirty two. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That's I think implicit in what in what Jesus is saying here. So that yeah, that verse thirty two I think is just full. Uh, of help for us. What else? Any any other things that you that you notice here? <coughs> yes. Um, I love the example of comparing the uh, is it the grass or the lilies? When it compares them to Solomon, who had this abundant riches and abundant beauty because of his riches, and it says, in a sense, it's saying like, look, the the beauty that God supplies is better. Yeah. The, the good that God gives is better. And so just to like learn to lean into what God gives rather than what you can mm-hmm. supply for yourself. And just like learning that what because like, that's the stuff we can actually have our hands on that makes us anxious when we can't control it. And so um, just like learn to lean into what God supplies. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Because that right, Solomon Solomon accumulated all his wealth and the Lord obviously gave that to him. But here's here's simple Provision, simple beauty, and it's all around us. God provides. Okay, so lots, lots, and lots of stuff uh, in here that we could hang out in, and I, you know, would encourage you to continue to to lean into that. As I said, any um, any other passage of scripture, um, I mean, this one of course focuses on anxiety, but any passage of scripture will be helpful in some way as you ask the question. 
Lord, what are you saying about, about who you are, your, your character, your work, your heart for your people um, that helps me and speaks to my fears uh, right now? Okay? So wherever we are in Scripture, we can ask uh, that, that question. What kind of a lens does it give me for reviewing my particular worries? One other proactive practice that I think helps to undercut a tendency toward worry and anxiety, and that's cultivating gratitude. Um, notice the places where God has shown up so evidently uh, in, in your life. I think it was a Puritan, uh, Thomas Watson, who said, you know, be aware of God's div- you know, divine cordials, the divine cordials, the ways in which God pours out his grace and, uh, and, and mercy. Um, you know, so as we, as we pause, again, this is a proactive practice, right? A, a discipline, really. The discipline of gratitude, pausing to see where where has God provided today? Because in the, in the midst of in the midst of anxiety, it's really easy. Uh, you mentioned the, the tunnel vision of anxiety, and that's exactly right. We, we only see what is what is before us. We we have blinders on, so it's really important to open that up and say, where have I seen God at work uh, today uh, in in my life? Um, Psalms do that all the time. Where have we seen God at work? Where have we? Where have? Where has He acted in the past? How does that give us hope for the present, and uh, and for the future? Psalm ninety four nineteen is a favorite verse of mine. When the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Okay, so what are those consolations? Have we paused to consider what the consolations are? And then one last proactive practice. Do people know <laughs> that you're anxious or have uh, your students actually shared uh, with others that they're anxious? Or that it's, it highlights that the battle of anxiety uh, requires the reinforcement of other believers' prayers and, uh, and presence. Think about that in, in 2 Corinthians 1. Paul uh, says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we experienced in the province of Asia. We were, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Um, but this happened that we might not rely on God. I'm sorry, no, he didn't say that. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, uh, but on God who raises the dead. And then he goes on in verse 11 and says, you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So soliciting the prayers of others and being honest about the hardship was, uh, was normal. It wasn't an optional practice uh, for Paul. So in a sense, all these proactive practices, marinating in scripture, asking how it relates to the struggle with anxiety, um, gratitude, um, knowing the specific contours of your anxiety, all of those are, in a sense, building muscle that, that will be exercised when anxiety becomes increased in, uh, in volume. So let's, let's talk about what do, you, what do you do in the moment uh, when you find yourself really anxious? Um, and here, I find the simpler, the better. Um, the more straightforward, the better. And the first thing um, is pray. Now, that may seem like a no-brainer. It's like, duh. Um, But the reality is, when anxiety is high in my life, I don't always pray. 
as a as a first uh, resort. I I plan. I strategize, I try to control my circumstances and my surroundings uh, for the quickest possible path to relief. But do I, always, do I always pray? Now, of course, it's not wrong to think about what particular actions uh, we, we could take uh, in response to situational challenges that may be provoking anxiety. Um, but are we acknowledging and relying and looking to the God who is with us and yearns to help us in the midst of that anxiety? So, do we pray? But then secondly, uh, yeah. Can I, sorry, so that can be so hard though sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. When you're anxious. Just, you're like, okay, I know I ought to pray, but there's just this like roadblock where you can't begin. Do you yeah. have anything like on how to begin when you're in that mode? Yeah, so I, I think maybe even some of the things that I'm going to say later will, will help with that because sometimes our bodies are screaming so loud we actually need to calm our bodies uh, as, a, as, a, as a way of uh, engaging with the Lord. Sometimes it'll be um, noticing, some, noticing the beauty around us will actually be part of that, uh, part of that calming. Um, but uh, I'll, I'll actually, will, if I don't address that, ask it again, but I think I will. All right, yeah. Um, and I think the second thing about prayer is that we um, we need to avoid what I would call anxious prayer. Um, do you ever come away from a time of prayer more anxious than when you began? Does that ever happen? Um, maybe I'm the only one. Um, but we want to be aware of this distinction. Um, in Marilyn Robinson's uh, wonderful book, Lila, the title character says about her husband, Reverend John Ames, I meant to ask him sometime, what's the difference between worrying and praying? What's the difference between worrying and praying? Now, that is a deceptively profound uh, question and speaks to a reality um, that I think many of us have experienced. Um, Because sometimes this is what our prayers sound like. Um, Lord, I I pray for my friend Joel's uh, surgery. Lord, I pray that you would guide the the surgeon's hand and that no mistakes would be made. I pray that you would give the anesthesiologist wisdom and that there would be just enough anesthesia to keep him under, uh, but not so much that he doesn't quickly wake up in the recovery room. And I pray for the nursing staff and, and so on. It's like, well, that is exhausting <laughs> to, to, pray, uh, to pray like uh, that. Uh, our prayers end up being exercises in worry uh, when our... In, uh, Again, do we, do we sometimes do this in our prayers, where we actually try to twist the arm of God uh, in in the midst of our prayers? To this is what our expectations of a perfect outcome are, and so I'm praying along those lines. Um, or I need to exhaustively mention every detail and every aspect of this situation because I think somehow if I don't do that, God will will overlook it. Well, I think when we end up praying like that, we end up talking more to ourselves than. Uh, to the living God. Now, it is right to bring the details of our life to the Lord. And um, I think this, but what you see in Scripture, particularly in the Psalms, is God's people addressing him in straightforward, simple ways. And I think this gets to what you were asking. Think of a child in distress crying out to his or her parent, help me, save me. Um, be near to me. Let me see your face. Answer me. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Okay? 
those kind of prayers, even in the midst of high anxiety, I mean, I, I have not infrequently prayed, you know, Jesus, have mercy. Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy. Okay? Those are, those are cries of desperation. And it can be very difficult in the midst of high anxiety to do anything more. But that is the cry of a child calling out to, to their father. Sometimes the simplicity of a, of a short, uh, already written prayer, um, whether it's memorized or not, can help in focusing um, our, our prayers. So I found some of the collects in the Book of Common Prayer to be helpful in, for me in the midst of, in the midst of anxieties. In fact, the, the, when we were in Quebec City and lost the license plate, that actually was one of the, one of the things that helps uh, helped start uh, turning the, the ship, so to speak. I prayed words like, Fulfill now, O Lord, my desires and petitions as may be best for me. Okay? I didn't have to, didn't have to self-generate those in the, midst of my, in the midst of my high anxiety. They were, they were there uh, for me uh, to, to use. Or grant that I may know and understand what things I ought to do and also may have grace and power faithfully to accomplish them. So sometimes actually having a, a, a pre-written prayer um, can, be, can be helpful, whether it's self-generated or used directly from Scripture or from a resource like the Book of Common Prayer. Uh, but simply we're appealing to our Father um, who has our back. It's as simple as that, and it is as profound as that. So that's the first, that's the first reactive uh, thing. Secondly, focusing on God's grace sufficient in the moment. And I have multiple things I, I'll touch on here briefly. Anxiety robs us of the present. Um, anxiety lives in this murky and uncertain future where the worst case scenarios are going to come to pass. So how, how can we focus on God's provision right now? Right now? rather than engage in this scrambling of, of mind and body that characterizes anxiety. I think the first is simply to recognize our, our own powerlessness. Um, I don't know if you've ever found this, but sometimes when you, you, we're most anxious about the things that we have some sliver of control over, um, but then if something happens that it's so out of our control, it's sort of like, huh, there's nothing I can do about that. I'm I'm completely powerless, and there's there's a certain freedom of that. Um, this goes back to the Luke 12, 25 and, and 26, right? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour uh, to his span of life? If you're not able to do a small thing like that, how can you be anxious about the rest? And so there's a certain freedom from realizing that I'm not on the throne, but that sense of powerlessness is not the same as, uh, as paralysis. Um, the, his power is perfected in our weakness, so what, what can we do in that, in that weak and vulnerable place? Uh, and here I'll mention just several things uh, that can be helpful. Uh, the first is the grace of breathing. <laughs> Take a deep breath. Um, in the midst of anxiety, uh, particularly if it's acute and severe, breathing just becomes more fast and, and shallow. That's your sympathetic nervous system uh, revving up. That's the, that's the fight or flight response that's revving up. Well, what happens physiologically when you self-consciously slow your breathing uh, down? Um, well, when you 
inhaled slowly, it, it inhibits the sympathetic nervous system. And when you exhale slowly, it actually um, increases what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the opposite system. And in both cases, overall, what you're doing is putting on the brakes on this complex system that activates fight or flight and the experience of, of anxiety. Now, what should we think about that? Well, hopefully amazement that God has designed our, uh, our bodies in such a way that they don't have to be uh, runaway freight trains in the midst of experiencing a lot of negative emotion. Now, we often associate slowed and paced breathing with, with Eastern uh, religions and practice, but um, as the hymn reminds us, this is our Father's world, right? He, why shouldn't we reclaim what God has designed uh, in the first place? Slow breathing is a common grace uh, practice that uh, honors our Creator's design for bodily creatures. Right? As theologian John Murray says, it's not that we have a body, we are body. And this is one place where we, where we tap into that, that reality. That slow, intentional breathing then, I think, creates um, further space to engage with God. So particularly if we're, we're so strung out on anxiety, this is a place perhaps to, to begin. It actually slows us down enough to be able to engage uh, with, uh, with the Lord. Just in the same way that it's hard to have a productive conversation with someone who is out of control angry, that there needs to be a certain amount of de-escalation that happens before you actually engage that person in a similar way with anxiety being very high there needs to be in this case a de-escalation of the body that then paves the way for greater engagement with with the Lord another reactive practice here uh, look for concrete markers of God's power love wisdom presence around you. Jesus used these concrete examples from, uh, from everyday life, not, I don't think it's just a one-time illustration, but as an ongoing testimony of, of God's care. So every time the disciples saw a raven chowing down at the edge of the road or path or whatever, they would say, ah, okay, this is my father providing for this bird. How much more Will he care? Will he care for us? We know that nature is revelatory about uh, who God is, right? Psalm Psalm 19: uh, The heavens declare the glory of God; the sky above proclaims His handiwork. So, when anxiety is rising, it's helpful again because of those blinders and tunnel vision to look around you. Um, what do you see? What do you see that serves as a reminder or as a, as a parable of God's care? Okay. C.S. Lewis says in um, letters to Malcolm, chiefly on prayer, follow the sunbeam to the sun. Okay. Follow what you see, the, the, the end point, if you will, of beauty to its, uh, to its source. And I think often in the midst of anxiety, we need something tangible and concrete to jolt us, uh, to remind us of God's, of God's love and power and presence. So even uh, taking the time to uh, notice 
uh, on, a, on a walk, uh, a beautiful sunset, or um, looking at the, focusing on the petals of a flower, or something like that, actually is, is pushing us to engage with the creator of that, uh, of that beauty. Um, so that when worry grows, you might say that, that beauty is a, is a blessed intrusion uh, in, uh, in the midst of that, that speaks a calming word, be still. Be still and know that I am God. Another thing that I found helpful is actually engaging multiple senses as you, uh, as you uh, orient yourself toward, toward God. Um, often, when anxiety is great, it feels like our brains are short-circuiting. It can be hard to think or to pray. Uh, and so the battle to overcome anxiety is not just a battle of my heart's desire, but a battle to bring, uh, bring control of my body. And that's why engaging more of who I am as a bodily person, I think, is particularly important. So using my body, using my body in the here and now uh, keeps me grounded in, in the present, not in the the misty world of, of the what-ifs that come with, with anxiety. So really what I'm saying is physicalize. Physicalize your faith. Okay? Um, respond to God not only with your mind, but also, also with your body. And you see that all throughout the Psalms, right? How, how, uh, this is whole person worship that we, that we see portrayed uh, before us. Singing, speaking, shouting, uh, lifting up hands, bowing down, kneeling playing various musical instruments. Um, there is no such thing as disembodied discipleship. Uh, and there are no ultimately disembodied ways of approaching anxiety. So just a couple thoughts here. I'm hearing, um, speaking the words of Scripture is activating more of who you are as a body-soul person than just simply sitting and reading quietly. Um, walking and talking aloud while you pray is activating more of, of who you are. Same with listening or, or sing, uh, listening to a song or singing a song. Um, I had a woman, a young woman who was struggling with, uh, with OCD, and though she had memorized many verses and had them posted in her room, when it was particularly bad or anxiety, it, it was hard to, to make those connections. And what she found was most helpful in those moments was actually singing, uh, singing hymns, um, because she's getting, in a sense, truth in a different, uh, a different pathway. So there are different pathways that the Lord um, um, personalizes his truth to us. Um, seeing. Um, in 1 Samuel 7.12, after the defeat of the Philistines, Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and named it Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. So that, that was a very visible and tangible marker of the Lord's provision. Um, I've had folks that I've worked with who struggle with anxiety, whether based on this uh, passage or something like uh, Psalm 18, uh, Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock. Um, actually carry um, a small, smooth stone uh, in their pocket. And in the midst of anxiety, grab hold of it. And that actually becomes a stimulus for them to, to pray to the Lord. Okay? It's, a, it's an aid. It's a tangible, concrete reminder that this, 
you know, God is a rock. If you, it just feels so abstract in one sense. Um, oh, he's solid. He's strong. I, I can't, I can't, this rock can't be broken. I can't crush it. He's like that. He's with me. He's helping me even now. Um, engaging smell. Well, I'm going to buy one of those uh, new uh, crossway scratch and sniff Bibles. No, they don't exist. I'm sorry. Uh, although there may be an entrepreneur who's out there uh, who's at work. But all I'm, all I'm saying is consider all your senses. Consider all your senses and how you are using them in, uh, in relation to the Lord. So let me, uh, I want to conclude uh, two, two brief things. Uh, I want to go back and say uh, something at the, that I said at the beginning of the session, uh, which if we engage God in these proactive and reactive ways, will I fully overcome my struggle with anxiety? I would say not necessarily, right? Um, for some, the experience of anxiety will be a lifelong affliction, a lifelong suffering. And so the question is, how do we, um, how do we meet the Lord and grow even in the midst of that, in the midst of that suffering? Uh, we may say, we may see that social anxiety will be less or that my panic attacks will be less, uh, less frequent. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that um, God is not at work. Even if complete symptomatic relief is, uh, is elusive, God's Spirit is always at work in the midst of our weakness. And Paul testified to that in, in 2 Corinthians 12.9, where he's pleading for the Lord to take away his thorn. God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And that is an amazing and gracious paradox um, that in the places of significant and ongoing human weakness, um, it's an opportunity to experience God's grace in more deeper ways. And then I'll just mention, secondly, the, the role of medications, uh, particularly for severe anxiety. Scripture, of course, says nothing about this in, in particular, but what can you know what? What can we learn that I think brings a biblical perspective, a balanced perspective? Well, we see in the biblical story, particularly in the New Testament, both an emphasis on the relief of suffering, okay, um, but also God's work of transformation in the midst of our suffering. Um, both of those are biblical priorities. Both of those are manifestations of the coming of the kingdom in, in Jesus Christ. And so uh, be, because of that, I think the, the use of medications is a, is a wisdom um, issue uh, to be prayerfully considered with uh, both pastoral and, and medical input. In some situations, I think medications are an important part of, of body-soul care uh, for an individual, whether it's for a season of time or, or longer, but always always within a framework of how, how, do, we, how do we grow? Um, how, do we, how are our hearts increasingly tuned uh, to sing God's praise uh, where, where loving God and loving neighbors still remain front and center? So while God doesn't necessarily promise to change our anxiety-provoking situations or ultimately uh, change the, the the proclivities that we have in our in our weakness and our weak bodies, uh, he does promise. He does promise to change 
us. And he does promise to change that person. Um, and that's a huge hope that he who began a good work will carry it on. I want to close with Psalm 131. Let's read this together. I think this is a great um, psalm that paints a picture of the, the vision of the, of the soul at rest. Um, one that we can pray now for ourselves and for those who are struggling with anxiety. So let's, uh, let's pray this together. O oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. I listed a few resources at the end of your uh, handout, resources that I found um, helpful uh, in terms of um, either using for myself or using in the context of working with others who struggle with anxiety. So thanks a lot. Thrilled to be with you. Thank you for your patience with my voice.